0: We talked about uh, the potential of doing what we're doing here tonight on Wednesday afternoon. You can fill in the blanks uh, with our prayer meeting and the rest, and I was really hoping when I pulled into the parking lot tonight that it'd be empty, (laughs) (laughs) but it's not empty. In fact, I think I need to stand here just to see you, but uh, certainly appreciate your efforts to be here tonight and I hope you can appreciate my very scattered thoughts and I'm really kind of interested to see how it works out uh, as we kind of throw some ideas together and let me say up front that I, I likely offend everybody on some level or at least find disagreement with everyone on virtually every or someone on virtually everything that I say But um, I think we understand that. We understand that uh, political differences and just how we see the world, is is we're all a project. Uh, We're working on trying to think biblically and think through things. And and I I know that uh, there's undoubtedly some very strong opinions on some of these things. And um, I have certainly strong opinions. I want to try to avoid... The opinions as far as possible, but it is not possible. We're having a a political conversation in some sense. My hope is not to focus on political views, but rather to think uh, biblically about the large picture. So pray for me as we uh, work to that end. But defining moments engrave themselves on our memories. Let me share three that have etched uh, their way onto my memory. Scene one was January 1st, or January uh, 1991. Not January 1st, but January 1991. I was in my office before the start of our Wednesday evening prayer service, and one of our deacons at that time, later an elder, Gordon Lehman, came rushing into my office, unannounced, uh, didn't knock, just walked in and said, we're at war. I haven't forgotten that moment. I don't think I ever will. Operation Desert Storm had begun, and our nation drove the invading Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein from Kuwait. And night after night, we were mesmerized by images of the GPS on American bombers locking onto Iraqi targets and installations, and poof! Right there in front of our eyes, these buildings were reduced to rubble. We drove Saddam to his knees, we liberated a vulnerable and defenseless nation, and we felt our greatness. We celebrated it. Scene two, a decade later, our little, little um, Levi rushed into the room and informed me that mommy was watching TV. Mommy never watches TV in the morning, like ever. So I knew something big was happening. And he he said that she wanted me to come watch with her, and so I made my way there quite quickly. In horror, we watched replays of two commercial airplanes slamming into the Twin Towers in New York City in a heinous act of terrorism. Claim claimed 3, 000, nearly 3,000 lives there in Pennsylvania and at the Pentagon. Three days later, President George W. Bush stood on a pile of rubble at the Twin Tower site, still smoldering. And using a bullhorn, he expressed the nation's condolences to those who had lost loved ones and friends and workmates there at that site. Someone yelled out in the crowd, I can't hear you. And he took the bullhorn and said, I can hear you. And everybody laughed, but there was more than a laughter to it. It's, there's, it's, they seemed to sense the double meaning. And the crowd roared their approval. Bush continued, I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the crowd then roared again, and he paused, and said, and the people who knock down these buildings will hear all of us soon. The crowd really roared then. I mean, they were fired up, and chants of USA, USA came from that sight of rubble. Soon, U.S. bombers were pummeling targets in Afghanistan, and we sensed our greatness, our power to fight back. Scene three, during a short writing leave in September, Beth and I took maybe six walks around our nation's capital, right through the grounds on our way out and on our way back. And so that building was very fresh in our memories, and with that fresh familiarity, we viewed with all of you the graphic images of riotous mobs smashing and pressing their way into that building, ransacking it, and fraying the nerves of an anxious nation. A police officer, as I'm sure you're all aware, was murdered in the mayhem, and 54 other officers injured trying to resist the rioters. Now think of that progression. The first, as we go out from this nation and adjudicate justice in another place. The second, here, on our ground, the first, writing a colossal wrong, serving justice with authority, being a liberator, the second, more humbled, for it's on our soil, what's happening to us by being done to us by terrorists. But once aroused, America showed greatness, I think, in a decisive response. To whatever degree that response was the best idea and warranted, all of that can be set aside. But we stood up and asserted our authority as a nation, if there is such a thing. But in this third instance, in this bizarre, senseless and ultimately pointless attack on our nation's capital, the enemy was us, our own citizens, doing this to our nation's capital. I think on January 6th, the world heard from America again and the message that was sent was humiliating. We looked the fool in that moment. Ironically, this unhinged lunacy This moral degeneracy was committed in support of a president purporting to make America great again. Well, natural curiosity may ask, well, what do you think politically about all this? I want to make very clear, my political opinions are irrelevant. They are entirely irrelevant to our relationship as a church. They're irrelevant. I think we all need to say that to some degree and understand that. That's not why I'm speaking to you tonight. I'm speaking as a pastor, I speak as a husband, a father, grandfather. But my only goal is not to talk politically, but to help us think about our world in a manner that honors Christ. What I think politically is irrelevant. However, to tie up this part of our consideration tonight, let me make 2 counterbalancing observations to just make no one happy, all right? Uh, I don't know where this will go. I don't know what you all think. But first, anyone who insists that President Trump is not responsible for inciting the Capitol riot, I would humbly suggest does not sufficiently understand the nature of leadership. No particular crime in that. But if you know anything about leading people, you know that he bears culpability. Now I'll leave aside what I believe that culpability is, to what degree it is. I'll leave all of that alone because it's irrelevant what I think. Pausing only to invite any who might not see President Trump's culpability just to take another long look maybe to let the emotions pass, and to try to look at the facts of the case. On the other hand, those who think the left had nothing to do with inciting this riot do not understand human nature very well. To cite just one point, when liberal politicians stand back for hours, if not for days, as cities burn and lawlessness prevails in the streets, so as to purportedly grant people the freedom of ideological protest, when they refuse to rebuke fringe elements to their left for inciting mayhem in our streets, they send a message to both sides that law and order is important for other people, not for our team. When the left indicates that the rule of law is a suggestion, so many general guidelines the autonomous self is free to dismiss, then you can count on people acting out such notions. But tying up these reflections and saying what I trust is obvious to all, let's, let me say it clearly, again my opinion and that is that the rioters who breached the capital and ransacked it did so in rejection of God's law. They had no business doing what they did. They sinned, they were up to no good, and they should be prosecuted as wrongdoers without qualification. Romans 13.4 Now that's not a political position. I said you may disagree with me in the sense that you may disagree on the application of Scripture here, but it's not really a political position. It is a moral judgment. Rioting, trespassing, vandalism, murderous threats, saber-rattling acts of intimidation, bodily assault, weapons violations, and murder are evil. And the followers of Christ must abhor and denounce what is evil. There is no excuse, there is no justification for such a senseless assault on law, on order, on respect of life, and for our nation's integrity. There is no justification. And all parties involved, to whatever degree, should take responsibility for their wrongdoing. First and foremost, those who entered into that building and did the things that they did, and secondly, our president, and thirdly, conspiratorial agitators of various stripes, and even, I think, the left, though not perhaps in the moment what has been done to so encourage such foolishness. I trust that none of us bears any culpability for this. It's certainly possible in our internet world for you to have had part in that in some way. I'm certain I know of no one. I trust that would be no one. I think that at the heart, this affair should horrify us. It should not, however, knock us off our feet, fill us with fear, or stoke unjust anger. More on that in a moment, but first I want us to consider That what we're witnessing in this incident and in many of the travails of 2020 is the incapacity of the sinful heart to navigate the Internet. The Internet is a problem. It is a big, hairy problem, if I can say it. And Eden Baptist Church, we need to figure out how to develop the skills to handle this beast to the honor of christ it's a beautiful tool we've been in quick time we always are in quick time working with our missionaries working to reach out and press the cause of christ through the internet but we all know it's used for a lot of other things the internet is not responsible for the violation of our nation's capital last week, but the internet acts like a gallon of kerosene on a bonfire. It fuels the folly. And I, I, I just, this opinion, but I just don't think we're seeing our world properly if we don't recognize the problem that is here and playing out on so many levels. I want to talk just for a few moments about identifying truth, and I, I just feel frustrated because there's so little time to go into how much we really should be honestly considering here. But there's an animated movie entitled Ralph Breaks the Internet. I have no idea if it's any good, but I'm jealous of Ralph. I want to break the Internet. Not really, but the world has really changed. And for the old people among us like me, we've seen it. And it's not all been for good. In a bygone day, journalists earned degrees. Through a highly competitive process, the best of them became reporters. Institutions groomed their reputations, and they knew that if they did not deliver truth, at least as their primary supporters saw it collectively, they would lose their business, they would lose their jobs. It was highly competitive, highly vetted. The average person had to largely accept the news that they heard or read. They might not buy it, but they knew what the official report was. It was there for us to see, to handle, and we essentially shared that information. There were many gifted people that were part of this. They didn't all love God, and many of them tend to veer away from any of the things that we hold dear as the followers of Christ. But they were gifted people who were carefully vetted, studiously managed from above, and the institutionalized sources delivered the news to America. The internet has decimated all the barriers I've just been talking about. They're essentially gone. They're not gone. I still buy the newspaper for partly this reason. Not because what I find in there is what I believe, that I like what I'm reading there, but because I know what some vetted people are saying. But today, any fool with a pair of thumbs can say anything he or she wants to say, and countless people around the world can immediately agree with whatever that fool says. Unfiltered, unvetted. Anybody, just speak. You might grab attention. The naked, autonomous self decides. I cringe every time I hear it, which I don't often, honestly. But Fox News, we report, you decide. And I start yelling at the radio. Decide what? Decide truth? Decide what I autonomously want to believe and think? Yikes. The problem is that the average people sitting in front of a glowing screen view themselves as the filter and the arbiter of truth. We're all there. We're all tempted that way. We sit there at that screen and think, I'm running the universe. I'm determining the truth here. I know what I'm going to set aside and say, that's stupid, and I know what I'm going to take... The report's there, the message is there, I decide. Now, of course, that's got to be the case, that's right on some level, but it's gone to a degree that we are playing God in front of a screen. Further, anyone can find someone on the internet who tells them exactly what they want to hear, and by mid-afternoon, they can have an army of supporters across the globe all agreeing on this, this issue. Hyperbole, I know, but you know what I'm saying. If you want to believe the world is broken, that conspiracies abound... If you want to hear that there's a deep state about to take over the world, if you want to hear that Hillary Clinton is a pedophile who gets high on blood, that President Trump is going to declare martial law and imprison all the bad guys just before his second term, if you want to believe that Ralph is going to break the internet, or a three-eared Martian visited McDonald's in Nebraska last week, you can find it all. Somebody will tell you exactly what you want to hear. What kind of turns you on and pushes your buttons and gets you excited? It's right there on the screen. And there's nobody telling you you can't read it, can't believe it, can't follow it. This this is a clear and present danger that hits us on many levels. From fantasy land on the one side to the almost plausible on the other. This week I read a report of researchers uh, from Stanford. They believe that they have proven through scientific means and peer review that the lockdown measures taken to combat COVID-19, that is the quarantine measures taken by the U.S. and other countries, were largely ineffectual compared to far less restrictive measures taken by countries such as Korea and Sweden. What's the most dangerous thing about that report? The most dangerous thing for Dan Miller is that it told me what I want to hear. I liked what I read there because that's what I've been saying all along. That's what I believe. And so that becomes now my truth. I have to take that information and hold it lightly. Is it true that the quarantine measures really were ineffectual? Is that true as much as I want to believe that? I don't know. I can't prove it. They believe they've proven it, but I can't know. I think a very irresponsible response on my part is to say, I knew it. Here's the proof. This is the way it is. Send it to a hundred people. And run around telling everybody, this is the reality. I don't know. I I think that, I I just use that as an illustration to say, when you're on the internet and you see something that tells you what you really want to believe is the truth, be patient. Exercise self-doubt. We're all bent certain ways, and there are certain things that are very easy for us to believe. So let's bring it a little bit back now to the topic at hand. The election. I think what's really maybe at the heart or core of it in some sense of this whole break into the Capitol is was the election stolen? I'm not talking to anybody here, but just hypothetically, you believe it. It was stolen. The answer for a believer in that situation is patience. There are courts of law. Maybe in 20 years they will confirm that the election was indeed stolen. I wouldn't hold my breath on that one personally, but hang in there. Was there fraud? I think it's fair to say there's been fraud in every election that the U.S. has ever had. Was it enough to turn the election against what was real? Well, as far as fraud, Democrats have also leveled the same charge in the past. So, fraud enough to throw off the election? Is it possible that what is really going on? I think some, so I'm trying to, I'm talking to somebody who's thinking this. Is it possible that what's going on is that we have a president who's incapable of admitting defeat? Might it just be that simple? Is it possible that he did not win in a landslide as he claims that he just said that but simply lost the election? The point is you don't know. We need to come at this with humility to say, I don't know. Not sit in front of a screen and say, there it is, that's proof, I know the truth. You don't. I don't it demands then that humility that humility fuels patience to say over time the truth will come up this is the problem with the internet everything I mean I'm this way now too I've been trained three seconds way too long what's going on with my computer it's supposed to be now it's supposed to be right here I get everything when I say what it's stalling why is it stalling it's been three seconds right well, in that environment, what we tend to think is, I can have the truth now. I don't have to wait. I don't have to let history unfold and time to reveal what the truth is. Let me jump to the other side. The other side, we asked did President-elect Biden win the election? Oh, you know he did. You know Trump is lying. You know people around him are lying because they cannot deal with reality. But do you know with absolute certainty that there was no voter fraud? Do you know with absolute certainty that maybe something could change in some way? You don't know. Come at it humbly. Come at it patiently. Let things unfold. God has this he will sort things out there's no justification for despising confused people as you see it but the internet trouble goes a lot deeper and i'm not even to get to the theological roots of it all by any means but perhaps the most insidious aspect of the internet is the allure of secret inside information that a small group of people in the know have discovered. They have found the real story behind the story. So claims the storyteller telling the story. People, Eden Baptist Church, the family that I love, we must exercise discernment. We've got to exercise discernment. Attention-getting, alarming news flashes, the promise of the inside scoop, the promise of this is what's really going on, this is what's really happening, should be an alert to us to stop and think and be wise. Conspiracy theories these wild-eyed predictions of the end of the world, of massive societal meltdown, of apocalyptic horrors, recognize how these sensational declarations are silencing the word of God in prophecy. They're pushing God out of the way. They're taking his revelation and setting it aside and saying, this is what you should be focused on, This is the important, this is what's really happening in the world. And it really connects to ancient Gnosticism, which has been a problem with biblical Christianity from the very start. Gnosticism was the sense that there is this secret knowledge that the inside circle has, the real story behind the story, and it got mixed up with Christianity in many people's experiences. This stuff is poison. It offers an egregious opportunity to waste your life, to squander your time, to enter into a fantasy world that detracts from our calling as Christ's followers. We're so enamored with the thing that only a few know. What is more, if any of these history-altering things happen? you'll know about it when it happens. I, I, I just, I don't, maybe some of it's just my DNA, but I just don't get what's the thrill of learning about it before it happens. There's no point in preparing for the 99 of 100 predictions that never materialize. And the one that comes true only if you squint at it real hard. The predictions now are just exponentially Multiplied on the internet this is going down. This is going down. I I, I'm insulated from a lot of it Probably because people know how I think and they just avoid me and run away Uh, but Wow, I think in the last Ten days I've seen more of this foolishness than I have my whole life. I cannot believe what people are saying is going to happen. Now, you look at that, and there's, there's no human being that can stand here and say it's not going to happen. But it's not going to happen. Does that make sense? I, who knows? This or that may take place. But don't you, Dan, I mean, don't you want to know how to identify the Antichrist? I think I'm. Pretty good right here. I, no. I don't, I, well, I, when the Antichrist comes, I'll know who he is. I don't need to know the 85,000 ideas that come and that are all proven wrong. I've got the Scriptures. God's told me what I need to know. Don't you want to prepare for the deep state making it impossible for you to survive and for the church to survive? No, I don't. Face that when it comes. Well, isn't that irresponsible? You're not preparing for these things. As I read the scriptures, the gates of hell cannot withstand the gospel, and the gospel has to go forward through the witness of Christians who apparently are breathing when they share the gospel. And Christ is putting people into his church, so the church is apparently going to continue to survive. And my knowing about some Antichrist movement or something like this is not going to help me live for God today. And I'll face those matters when they come. We may be persecuted, and they just stop and listen to that. Maybe we will be. Of course, what, do, what do we? What did we sign up for? To not be persecuted because we're smart enough to know when to hide? The gospel will prevail through faithful people. That's the side I want to be on, is on the gospel side. I want to be ready to represent Christ, and I believe the best way to do that is not to spend my days on the internet trying to figure out what major thing's about to fall, but to live in intimate love with Jesus Christ every day of my life and to know then I'm being readied for whatever I face there's a guy I've heard about maybe somebody here knows who it is I won't name him but he got into this stuff a long time ago and you know all the I mean Antichrist has come about 28 times and he keeps changing his views and all this stuff. But he had a lot of money. And so he bought a bunch of land in Colorado and he put a big, huge fence around it that would you know, kill most anybody that tried to get over it or near it. I don't know if it's electric or not, but I mean it's like a major fence. And he put... Enough food to stay alive for the rest of his life, I assume, and a whole bunch of ammunition and guns and that kind of thing. And and this is a Christian who's smart enough to know that the Antichrist is coming. And forgive me, nobody knows who it is, I hope, but I'd say, and dumb enough to spend his whole days holding a gun, waiting to shoot somebody that comes over the fence to take his food. Kind of looks like Jesus, doesn't it? What are we thinking? What are people thinking? The scriptures tell us everything we need to know about the Antichrist, which isn't a whole lot. So if you're digging down deep on the internet, you're hearing about the need to stockpile food or purchase guns. You're hearing that the internet is going to shut down and the world's going to end, or that President Trump is declaring martial law or the like. I, just one Christian to another, can I just say stop? I, I'm not aware of anybody doing that here. I, I really am not. I just know we're seeing piles and piles of it. Just stop. It's Gnosticism. It's, I don't have enough in the scriptures to keep me busy and to draw me to Christ. So I've got to go to these other sources of information that the few secret people know about. And let me take this one step further then. This goes not only to Gnosticism, but really into plain old fantasy land. It supplies, this this whole process supplies a sense of self-importance that I'm part of something big and I'm doing something. Even if I only play a small part, it's an important part, and I'm playing that part. The idolatry of this orientation should be evident to each of us. We are part of something big. Something much bigger than some ridiculous conspiratorial fantasy land. We are citizens of Christ's kingdom here on earth as His ambassadors. More on that in a moment. But we're not here to warn people about unprovable conspiracies. We're here to point people to Christ. And this this secret knowledge that then leads ultimately to fantasy land is where I think a lot of these rioters were at, to come back to them. I, I... I really struggled with confusion when I'm looking at these images of these people breaking into the Capitol and just saying, what on earth do they think this is going to accomplish? It's an utter fool's errand. I I was helped by somebody who understood the psychology a lot better than I do. Maybe there's truth in this. But he argued that they're not trying to affect change. They're simply caught in a deep web of fantasy play. Well, that's that's possible. Pushing into the nation's capital and inventing their anger made them feel important, that they had a part to play in something big. It was a gross display of Gnostic pride, but they were on the right side of history. They were the heroes. Did you see how many took selfies Isn't that pretty much the last thing you want to do to you know produce electronic evidence that you were there no that's the first thing they want to do it's fantasy land look what I'm doing I'm doing something big I don't know if they recognize they're a pinprick of the population and there is nothing they're going to accomplish for good but they got a selfie If justice is served, they'll soon be working to get on the right side of the gangs that rule the prison that have become their new home. And I don't have a whole lot of compassion when it comes to that. It's pure fantasy, and once someone has fallen into that pit, it's hard to get them out of it. Again, I'm not talking to anybody here, and part of what I'm saying might just be as you talk to others and just to get stabilization But as we start to head down this road of the fantasy that comes in the internet, there is grave danger there. And I think this capital breach is an example of where that can take you. You completely lose track of reality. And suddenly you're in there and they're acting out some sort of video game. They clock a policeman in the head with a fire extinguisher, as if he's going to hop up like they do in the movies. No, you killed him. Let me bring this now just to the home stretch. and What I think is for us most significant is to overcome identity confusion. First of all, our true identity. We are united with Christ and we are called as ambassadors for his kingdom. Respect for national identity, absolutely. Responsibility for this country, yes. But when we say things like, if the left wins the election, we will lose our country. The left will do irreparable harm to the church. Everything hangs in the balance. We're wrong. We're not thinking in our identity. The kingdom I serve is in glory with Christ. I'm united with Him. I'm one with Him. Nothing's a matter of desperation in this kingdom. We're losing our country and we must fight for it. No, the world's not going to end. God is on His throne. We serve His kingdom. And I wonder, is it evident that you are serving that kingdom, that I am serving that kingdom? Is it crystal clear to everyone that that's the kingdom we serve, ultimately? And if God has decreed to put a president into office that you voted against, Just accept God's answer. Think of Daniel. He didn't care who God put in office. Some guys loved him. Some guys hated him. Some guys made his life miserable. Some promoted him. He served God. He served a kingdom that was beyond the kingdom of Babylon and Persia. Think like Daniel. We're of another place. We have a different identity. May, May we live it out. Secondly, Scripture. The Bible is sufficient for life and godliness. There's utterly nothing you need to know about the end times that is not found in the Scriptures. We need the Bible to get us to heaven, and the darkest corners of the Internet do not help us then live. That's how some people think. I need the Bible to get me to heaven, but the darkest corners of the Internet will help me know how to live. That's wrong. That's disrespectful to God. It does not fear Him. We need to seek the Scriptures for how to live everyday life. God wants us to be ignorant about a lot of things in this world. And in a day when news did not pass as quickly as it does today through the Internet to us, there was people just lived with the fact that I don't know everything. And the world was a wonderful place as they stepped outside of their town for the first time and left their state for the first time and learned something through a letter from from somewhere else. We don't have to know everything. We know everything we need to know in the Word of God. It's got to be qualified, I realize. It's things the Bible doesn't speak to and we do need to research and find information. I, I understand that. But be very careful if the information you're seeking is really doing an end run around Scripture. Taking your focus away from walking with God in obedience to His Word, you're in a really bad pattern. Turn from that. Thirdly is reaching the lost. I wonder, are you so strident in your political opinions that you've become toxic to unbelievers who do not share those political views? Do you hold your political opinions with such fervor that you find it hard to even think of offering a loving witness and winsomely reaching out to those who hold opposite opinions? If your political opinions energies your political focus are so strong that you hate certain unbelievers or you want nothing to do with them you despise them you are not thinking like christ we 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 just got to reorient everything if we're bent that way it's time to refresh our identity if we focus that way. Further, we must be at peace with the realization that all nations are going to fall, including America. The task until this nation falls, and it may fall around our ears. That's, that, that's all right. This, this is just temporary. I'm a Daniel here. I really am a Daniel here. But <laughs> I, I just... We live in amazing abundance with amazing opportunities. God may take them away. So what? If he sovereignly does us that, are are we depending on those things? I wonder sometimes that we're just not more fearful about losing our money, losing our security, and losing our freedom. My money, security, and freedom are in glory. That's all that matters. Let God bring whatever trial He wants to bring. My task is to continue to proclaim the gospel of Christ to those who need that truth. We all do. So we should be helping unsaved people from the political left and the political right to understand why the nations rage. Donald Trump is no answer. And America will fall. But we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only answer to the raging sin in the human heart. So we have to disconnect if we need to. We need to disconnect sufficiently that we can talk to any unbeliever about Christ. And not get so pulled into the political conversation that we really cordon off. 51% Fifty-one percent of the people that are around us, or in Minnesota, maybe more. This is a key opportunity. I mean, we're, we're troubled. I'm troubled by how divided this world has become. Our culture has become. But this is a key opportunity. And I would pray. Will you join me in that prayer that Eden Baptist Church's people would come in off the street from political left, from the political right. As they would come off the street of people that do not know Christ as Savior, they would see here not some sort of political gathering, but a church. A church of Jesus Christ that embraces the lost and points them to Him, that embraces believers and walks in patience and love with one another, understanding and being faithful to each other, that really truly believes in the sufficiency of Scripture and continues to proclaim Christ. I, I, again, I don't think I speak to anyone, but let's just all say it. May this place never be a place that turns someone away from Christ because we lead with our politics. May we lead with Jesus Christ always. Amen. And number four is preparing for persecution. You do not prepare for persecution by looking for secret information. You prepare for persecution by knowing Christ. I heard um, a lecture from a man who had spent years in prison in Soviet Russia, and someone asked the question, I I don't know if I'd make it. I don't know if I'd stand for Christ. How do you know if you're going to stand for Christ when they throw you in prison for your faith, that you're not going to just abandon it? How how do you do that? He said this, being imprisoned for Christ is easy. Living in prison, I mean, all those responsibilities were kind of gone. There's all kinds of things that he didn't have to worry about or think about. It was just, you know, kind of live your life in prison there. He said the hard thing is to live for Christ outside. You, his point was you live for Jesus Christ every day, walk with Him, know Him, and you'll be ready to go to prison. It's not getting ready for prison. It's walking with Christ. And then He can take us anywhere He wants. And there's a banquet Inside. Preparing for persecution is not looking for secret information. It's not stockpiling weapons and foodstuffs. And I, I'm not saying it's evil to have those or put away all the food you want. If you're putting away weapons, let's talk. <laughs> but uh, I, I, my point is, I'm not, I'm not pushing against that. But just to say, it's not how you prepare for persecution. That's how you prepare to be like that guy in Colorado that puts a fence around and shoots anybody that gets inside. That's not our calling. We prepare for persecution by growing in the faith and preparing to meet our enemies with love by deepening our relationship with Christ. That's how we prepare. Will you turn with me to Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 at the end of that chapter? we read these encouraging words. Hebrews twelve twenty eight. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. There is a kingdom that cannot be shaken that we are inheriting. That is our kingdom as we identify with Christ, as we know Him, as we come to love Him and walk with Him. And may this church be such a place as that worship is clear to anyone who walks in. May your life and your work as a neighbor and at your workplace be such that it is clear to all that you represent a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that your relationship with Christ is everything. And that this fleeting, fading, failing world, you expect it to end. And you expect to walk with Christ to the end, knowing that He will care for you and guide you all the way home. Um, I'm done. If there, uh, elders, if there's anybody who'd like to... Speak, just think about that. Maybe there's a word you want to just stand up and, and uh, share with the church. No need, but if I want to give you that opportunity. But let me just say, I, I, I really am entirely unaware of any offense. But if you've taken offense by anything that I've said, I want to demonstrate to you exactly what I'm talking about. To love you, to hear you, to interact with you to hear what you have to say. So please understand, I, one guy standing here speaking off the top of my head, uh, it's a little dangerous, but if there's offense there, don't be turned off by me. Come to me, talk with me, I'm happy to meet with you and to think through these matters. But I don't think the world changed on January 6th. This is a bit of a bump in the road for us as a nation perhaps, might be really tough days ahead, we might enter into persecution, we may not. I, I, I don't know, but as we go forward, everything stays the same. We walk with Christ day by day. We live as His church until He scatters us, if He would. And, and, and to that end, we labor. Anybody have something to say, uh, Elders, come ahead.
1: Rich, are you here? Where's Rich? He's to your left by the sound bridge. Anything, do you have anything you want to share? Come on up if you do. Um, Eric, did you want to say anything? Rocky, Dave? Either of you guys, anything?
2: Eric's
0: got
1: Come some. take the mic.
2: Just as uh, I'm processing this and as even, thank you Dan, first of all, for your words tonight. I think truth matters, and as we've heard tonight, the truth that we know is in the scriptures, and it's all we need for life and godliness. And as I've thought through these things, and we're a church, and a church shepherds one another and cares for one another and points one another to the truth. And so we point one another to Christ. And I've, I've been told by some that I know that would maybe entertain some of these thoughts that dan has spoken against that uh those of us maybe in the church just simply aren't aware of what's going on in the world and if i have to leave the church to pursue what i believe is right i'll do so and i think that's so devastatingly wrong the truth is in the scriptures and as a church we're called to shepherd one another and point one another to that truth and so it is important that we have these discussions, not to get our political views out there and to prove everyone right, or prove meet myself right, and everyone else wrong. It's to remind one another that we're walking together in the truth, and let's do that, so.
1: Thanks, Eric. Um, I'll just share a couple quick closing thought, thoughts, then I'll pray, and we'll be dismissed. Um, but well, thank you, Dan, for sharing that and all the work to put it together. And I know you would have loved to have had more time. And you probably want a part two and three and four. You don't? Okay. All right. Um, we, we will not schedule that then. But, um, but certainly... Um, the next installment is Sunday morning. Amen. Next installment, Sunday morning, Ezekiel... Yes, and there will be confidence in that word because it's from God. Um, Just a couple quick thoughts. As I've wrestled through these last several months, um, growing up, um, I think I'm grateful for just the strong teaching I had on our country, our heritage, so much there to be grateful for. Um, My father taught history American history was his specialty, and um, the deep. Just as I have been observing and processing what's been happening, um, just a couple things as Jolene and I have been talking through this. Dan talked about the well. There's network news. Obviously, we can watch on TV. There's the internet. We can we can take news in 24/7, right? From our chosen platform. Um and I I've just noticed um I think there's just some spiritual dangers that we should be aware of that I'm sensitive to um a couple things is is I'm constantly focusing on how horrible everything is and how horrible all these other people are how horrible everything that's happening I think there's a couple subtle things that that can happen in our hearts just we should be aware of um one is the constant narrative we can hear is that these politicians and these policies are the problems. And the, these right politicians and these right policies are the solution. So, so it's almost like there's a little mini gospel there, right? This is the problem, and this is the solution. And I can kind of get caught into that storyline, that narrative, And that can kind of consume me and become, in a sense, my worldview, right? But what does God's word say? What is the narrative in scripture? Fundamentally, what's the problem, right? It's me. It's sin, yes. But even deeper than that, it's my sin. Like, I'm the problem. And the good news of Jesus Christ is the solution, so we can, we can, I think, if we're not careful, a, 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 an excessive news intake can feed our self-righteousness. It, it feeds our Phariseeism, really, right? So the parable in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and tax collector, do you remember that guy? So we can just convince ourselves, I'm on the right side of the issues, Thank God I'm not like those Republicans or those Democrats. And without even realizing it, what have we become? We're like the Pharisee. And our self-righteousness can just get fueled. And that's just a dangerous thing. So we just have to be aware of that. So, so for me, the less I take in of that, the, the less I'm tempted to kind of fall into that I'm right, everyone else is wrong, kind of mindset. So we need to be aware of that um, and just recognize the narratives of Scripture is I'm the problem, and Christ alone is the solution. And then just finally, Dan talked, super helpful, he talked about preparing for persecution, um, not by looking at the secret info, but by knowing Christ. As a parent of young children, I can't help but be thinking about okay, I need to prepare for persecution, but I've got to prepare my children for persecution. And if the Lord tarries his return, they're going to have to prepare their children for persecution. So I think it just heightens the call to focus on what matters. My kids are not going to be helped 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now if all they're seeing from me is, Is a bunch of whining and complaining about how we're losing our country and how dumb this president or this politician is. It's not going to help them, right? They need to be seeing parents who are loving Christ, who are loving his church, who are pursuing God, who are showing them what is necessary to persevere and to endure. And I mean, it's possible maybe for some people to pull off having their nose over here in the news all the time and doing that. I'm not capable of being in both worlds. I've got to be focusing on Christ and his word and the church, and that's what our children need. That's what their children need. So um, just some thoughts, and and I'll conclude with this, but um, we hear a lot, and I hear a lot, about we got to fight we gotta fight for our freedoms right even going back in our nation's history right from the beginning i'm not saying it was all bad all wrong but it's those people in dc a week ago wednesday we gotta fight we gotta fight and so i've i've asked myself okay well what does that mean what does that look like i yes i i value religious liberty I'm a Christian, first of all, so what does this fight mean? And, and I think the answer comes sort of in the stream of what Dan shared. Well, what does Scripture say fighting looks like for a Christian? Like, it's in the Word. The imagery's there. And Ephesians 6 is perhaps the main text. What do we fight against? What are we warring against? It's the principalities and powers. And so Paul, in that chapter, gives us a battle plan, right? He gives us a, a way to fight. And that's where we got to focus in our fighting. Um, we don't fight like the world, but we do battle, right? And And I'll end with this quote from, from a, um, a woman named Abigail Dodd. And reflecting on this, she said, How do we fight like Christians when so many are defeated or gone astray? Sing a hymn. Pray in the spirit. Teach the truth of God's word to your children. Respect your husband. Don't be frightened, but fear the Lord. Love the brothers. Do good to those who persecute you. Build, build, build on the foundation of Christ. Be confident that he has won the battle. Live like it's true, because it is. God has won the battle. Remember the better country to come and beckon others to an everlasting kingdom where there will be no darkness and tears will be finally wiped away. So now is the time for being who we are. God's beloved children, stable and steadfast, Offering hope to a lost world. And after having done all, we stand. So may that be true of us. May we fight, not as the world, but as God's people. And may he give us grace as we strive to pursue him during these very difficult days of, um, of all that's happening in our world. I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for um, tonight and the encouragement we've received. We're grateful, Lord, for Pastor Miller's um, commitment to truth, his desire to help us as a church think through so many significant things that are just sort of part of our world and we, we can just so easily absorb Father, we're grateful for um, his leadership and his wisdom and discernment and insight. So thank you, Father, for um, all of his labor to help us in this regard. Father, help us as a church to be wary of the internet, to see it as a good gift, but to not let it consume us and not to get sucked into the traps and pitfalls that are there. Father, help us to see ourselves above all, not as Americans, but as citizens of heaven. Lord, may one another as members of this church, may our neighbors and co-workers and friends look at our lives, see how we're thinking and responding, and have no question whatsoever where our heart's loyalty lies. May there not be a question that we see ourselves as citizens of another land, exiles here on this earth. Father, may we believe with all of our hearts that your word is enough. Father, forgive us from the sin of thinking there's something more that we need. God, help us to love your word and be content that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Father, as we recognize this world is passing away. Eternity is coming. Help us to reach the lost. Father, help us to be more interested in how we can share the gospel with someone in our lives than all that's going on that we don't even know. God, give us a desire to, to reach the lost, to share the gospel. And Father, may, we, may you use us in that regard. Help this church to be a light, to be salt. Help people to see and know and experience that there's something different here. And may we point others to Christ as we share with them the good news of the gospel. And Father, we certainly do not in any way, shape, or form relish the thought of persecution and increasing persecution in the years ahead. But, Father, help us to recognize that we're following you. You were crucified. We're your disciples. You've told us in your word that all who are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So so may we see it rightly, recognizing it's part of your calling in our lives. And may you prepare us for it by looking to Christ, by being faithful to your word, And Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to respond well when it comes and to endure and persevere through it, knowing the hope we have in Christ and knowing the eternity that awaits. So now as we leave here and we enter another week, Father, fill our hearts with your truth and draw our hearts and minds to Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, you're dismissed.